I'm not sure what she told you, but if I were you, I would tell her to find more appropriate ways of managing her imagination. Tyrell, I want you to accept the hard truth right here, right now, in front of me. You are not going to be CTO. Hello, friend. You got mail. Welcome to another episode of Hello, Friend, a podcast all about Mr. Robot. Henry is here again this week, and my name is Margaret, and we're here to talk about episode five of season one of Mr. Robot called Brave Traveler. This is really a story all about Elliot trying to hack Fernando Vera out of jail to save the one he loves and a lot of more shenanigans going on with Angela and Terrell directed by Deborah Chow written by Sam Esmail and Kyle Bradstreet. What did you think of Brave Traveler Henry? I thought it, I think of this episode a lot in conjunction with the prior prior episode uh, Exploits. I see them as kind of linked in both narrative arc and in the way that it plays out the consequences of the prior episode. And so here we have Fernando Vera setting things up with Elliot saying, I know your exploit. I know your name. I looked you up and I know what your name means. And so he is trying to assert mastery over Elliot in a very basic and primal way, in the way that people in the olden days used to think that knowing someone's name would give someone power or mastery. Oh, I think that's a really great way to see it because Fernando isn't your average criminal on the street who is dealing drugs. Fernando, I think, has a pretty amazing worldview. He does have this magical realism sensibility about him to your point in terms of how he's obsessed with naming things and understanding what they mean. And he also, according to Elliot, knows how the world works, but also knows and celebrates what the talent he sees in Elliot. So even though they should be total enemies, he kind of has an affection for Elliot, it seems. Yeah, he kind of has this uh, reality distortion field. He has the same ability to generate this reality distortion field certain charismatic CEOs do, or the ability to make people see things his way and actually affect reality based on his projection of it. So here he says, I think that this thing happened and I'm going to make the universe right. And someone's going to get hurt by the end of this, but we're going to settle the score. And he approaches Elliot and says, this is how we're going to make things right. And sets this interesting task in front of him to make him earn his redemption or his way out. Yeah, Fernando is a super complex character, and I don't think we're supposed to give him as much credit as he turns out to deserve in terms of being ruthless and murderous, don't get me wrong, but also having that kind of charisma and power and insight and another thing i loved about this episode and it's one of the ones i always think about when i think back to season one they open on a beautiful painting by uh, a 
a surrealist artist and I did look up the name. I didn't happen to know this off the top of my head. And this, the artist was, uh, last name is Ortega and it's a Dominican painter. So they're incorporating real art, quote unquote, into the show. And they also opened with the song, Some Velvet Morning, which is a Lee Hazelwood, Nancy Sinatra Jr. song. And I'm slightly a fan of that music and that era of music. So I thought it was well selected. Why do you think it was well selected? For what, what kind of mood did it evoke in you, these choices? Some Velvet Morning is a song that people play, hipsters play about. Um, I don't really know what the lyrics are offhand, but I always think of it as being a retro song and as kind of a sad song and about lost love and maybe better times are behind you. Interesting. Yeah. And what that fantastic surrealist painting was doing, hanging up in a restaurant in Long Island city, which is where it turns out that restaurant was, I don't know, but it was beautiful. This whole episode was constructed in a very cinematic way. When you think about the, the kind of scenario, you know, uh, protagonist with his romantic female lead in a hostage situation, set on this impossible task to earn his freedom and her freedom and guarantee her safety. And then, you know, pitting his wits against his antagonist. It's a very classic scenario, right? But the way that the episode even starts off in some ways is very Tarantino-esque, like the way that we think that there's a certain normality there and then it's stripped away in layers. And then we actually see that, no, it's a hostage situation and some of the people there are actually some of the people who are holding her hostage. Interesting. I, I was completely fooled by that scene. Every single time I've seen this episode, which is quite a lot at this point, you kind of wonder what Shayla is doing, wearing the same clothes from the wings travaganza shift the night before, but there she is. And she's, seeming like typical Shayla. She can't decide what she wants on the menu. And then like you're saying, they're pulling away at the layers. And then we find out she's a hostage and Isaac and the other henchman guy are there at the behest of Fernando. They have Shayla and they feel like they have Elliot's exploit. And so we see reality get deconstructed right as we speak. Like it gets peeled away in terms of, oh no, actually she's not free and things are not okay. And actually, some of the people who are around them are not friendly or at worst neutral, but they're actually somewhat hostile. And then we actually even see that Elliot himself is not free and that he himself is going to get taken away. It's like this steady unpeeling of what we assume to be normal. Yeah, it was really harrowing. And I happen to really like the Shayla character. She's so unusual for a character and I have a lot of caring about her, if you can say it's possible to care about a, a character in a fiction, fictional show. But this is where Elliot's led into a room once the, we can tell something is quite wrong and he picks up this old school phone and this is where Fernando tells Elliot what his name means, which is brave and true. Fernando compares Elliot's name to the meaning of Fernando's name, which is what? Brave Traveler? Yeah, Brave Traveler. And then he then goes on to, to say that brave is the same thing as what? Do you remember? Savage. Okay, so that, you know, that he's also a savage traveler, which gives us insight into how he sees himself as well. And that 
bravery and savagery are part of the same coin. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And also, I was wondering where in prison was Fernando able to look this information up? He can't just Google it. So they must have a pretty good prison library. (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess, or a very, very, very knowledgeable cellmate. That could be the possibility, too. I mean, maybe the bouncing ball guy has more abilities than just that. Or maybe he's just attuned with the universe. The universe is feeding him this information, as he would have us believe. Yeah, yeah. But we get the idea that basically Elliot has to hack Fernando out of jail, and that sends Elliot on this whole wild goose chase back at his apartment where He's being bossed around by that jerk Isaac, and Elliot can't resist hacking into Isaac's phone, even though time is of the essence. And it makes you wonder if this isn't actually uh, as as if it's not actually more likely to happen than you might, think. because prisoners are increasingly treated like parcels or pieces of inventory. And in any inventory or parcel system, you're going to lose track of some. That's just part of the statistical model and method. So what's going to happen to people that the system mislabels or misidentifies? What happens to them? Yeah, and imagine how that can only get more complex or we're using technology to manage so many aspects of our lives. So far in this series, we've covered hospital records. We've covered social networks and social media, covered people hacking into phones, utilizing web cameras, even when you think it's not working. In reality, as you know, heading into a society that's also going to be connected through what we call the internet of things. So there's a lot that can go wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities for malicious code or malware to be put in or for things to get exploited. Yeah, I I did love that scene with Darlene at the parking lot at the police station with all of those USB flash drives and she's just dropping them like candy. <laughs> well, I, I think the lesson here with both this and the CD scene with uh, the music is don't put things in your work PCs. It's not a good idea. That is so true. That comes up over and over again. Why people still mix their personal with their business computers and and email and what have you. It is such a bad idea to do that. And that's just the beginning, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and in some ways it presents this interesting puzzle for both security researchers as well as just normal human beings in terms of once you're once you've given this basically box this treasure chest that could be both a pandora's box or something really great like this guy the the police officer is tempted because of a hundred dollars e-tunes gift card it's like found money like awesome right and in a way in actuality it's a pandora's box it's something that's malicious it's a trojan horse and so you can design a great system, but in the end, human nature makes it really hard to resist. Yeah, and I love that they showed the police officer boot up the flash drive and was clicking on stuff. And then I noticed that he has the same antivirus software that I have, a vest. <laughs> <laughs> so again, another nod to the show's authenticity where you see real 
life tools being used as part of the plot. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And of course, it wasn't successful. And Elliot was saying some nasty things to Darlene in her script code there. Yeah, uh, I, I think he made a reference to some boards that she might have gotten the script from and basically said, you just copied and pasted something generic and that's why it got identified. Is that vast anti-virus program open source? Um, I'm not sure if it's open source, but there's a pretty good version that's free to use before you have to upgrade. Because I wonder if one of the reasons why we see a lot of these real-world tools in the show is because you can, because they're under some sort of open source license that allows the show to use it. Whereas if they were looking at Windows or Mac, uh, they would there would be a corporation that would have to sign off and give them rights. Yeah, or, you know, that's a really good point. I had just assumed it was product placement and maybe Avast was paying them to be in the show, but it could just as easily be that they're open source. They are free and I installed them recently after watching a bunch of Mr. Robot and thinking, I need to be more secure. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Well, uh, let, maybe we'll say that in a future episode, what we found about whether or not uh, it's open source or product placement. It's interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, we can't forget Angela, who has taken that fork in the road. And now she is obsessed with doing research on Colby, Terry Colby, the former CTO, and for finding out what happened with Evil Corp. And her mother, she goes to the lawyer, one of the original lawyers who was originally involved in the case. And the lawyer is really deflective and saying, I don't want to go for this. You know, she, she pours herself a drink. And this particular attorney was the same actress who was in Battlestar Galactica and so many other shows, A House of Cards. But she talks, she points to a guy who she says she's an easier time defending than taking on the biggest corporation. This guy bashed his girlfriend's head in with an Xbox because he was being cheated on and he was playing a game of Halo and got all revved up. Yeah, I, I could they have given her any more of the defeated stereotypes or the life has treated her, uh, given her a hard break stereotypes? Like she's drinking in front of a, a potential client. Like she she's really bitter and cynical, you know? Um, it seemed like they were laying on pretty thick with letting us know not to expect too much from her. Yeah, you could tell she would she would have made a perfect foil character for the serial podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's the places where dreams go to die if you're a potential litigant. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be so enthused to work with her if I were Angela, but at least Angela learns if you can find somebody who will fess up, who will be a personal witness, that'll be the tipping point. And I'm like, really? And and it remains to be seen whether or not that's true. It could be something that she just said to get her off her back and make her go away. At least she says to the attorney, you think you're, Angela says to the attorney, you think your life's bad. I work for a company that doesn't respect me. My boyfriend cheated on me and my dad is drowning in debt. So Angela feels a little bit laden with burden, it seems. And, and feels empowered because of them. Or and in her own way entitled to act a certain way because of these things. Yeah. But then one of my favorite scenes in this whole episode is when Tyrell just shows up and in that guy Scott's face, the, the new CTO who's going through a battery of interviews. And Tyrell has to say to Scott, tell the lovely Sharon I said hello. What a jerk. And then receives 
uh, a pretty uh, interesting blowback by Scott, where in the end, Scott tries to do what Elliot did to Bill in the prior episode, take his manhood away. Yeah, it's so intense the way Scott completely is not phased at all by anything Tyrell says or does. You're led to think Tyrell is so intimidating, or at least I am. And then you see how he can't seem to take on either this guy, Scott, or even his wife, Joanna. I mean, he's really not in control. Even when he tries to tell Scott, oh, your paranoia gets the best of you. The CTO guy's like, I'm fully aware you want my job. Let's be real here. And, and took it to him on both levels. Because at the end of that scene, I don't know if you caught that, but Scott zips up and puts on his watch back on, right? And in the course of the episode, had both unzipped and taken off his watch to intimidate Torrell and let Torrell know who was Alpha Dog. Pretty interesting to me. Totally. And then later when Joanna and Torrell are there, and what is Joanna eating? She's eating a um, corn dog or something. I didn't catch that. Like, it's just so weird. She's so strange. And she said... You know, I told you he was dangerous, but at least at least we know what his weakness is or the weakness of Scott's wife, Sharon. At least we know what that is. She needs to be wanted, right? Is that, was that her summation, I recall? Yeah, well, that's what I thought when I saw the bathroom scene. First, Terrell tried to get Sharon on his side by saying, how could you be married to this jerk? And that didn't really work. But he found that Sharon's exploit was feeling desirable although that was the most creepy unsexy thing i could ever imagine watching yeah it was and and in the end she ended up acting according to her nature in that she told her husband scott hey you know this guy tried to make a pass at me thereby making her feel wanted by him right so she was acting according to her nature by telling her husband scott what happened with terrell it just continues to make her feel wanted And I really get the sense that Scott and Sharon have a working relationship similar to Tyrell and Joanna or the Underwoods from House of Cards. They're like Bill and Hillary. Tyrell and Joanna, when they run into Scott and his wife, are kind of like, you know, both like Tyrell and his wife or partner think that they're pretty alpha and that they're kind of these wolves among sheep until they run into a slightly more advanced, vicious model that puts them in their place. Not to keep going on about it, Tyrell and his wife Joanna are almost like vampires. (laughs) Vampires who meet an older set of vampires who are slightly more powerful and corrupt. Totally. It was a very difficult scene to see Elliot back at his apartment where he sees Mr. Robot and Mr. Robot's saying... You need to let Shayla go. Let her become a memory. There's no plan where both you and Shayla survive. And that was very upsetting to hear that and worrisome. Oh, and we also hear some truths about what we are. We're made up, right? We we hear this very much straight out that, you know, various times in this episode, Elliot refers to the Watcher and acknowledges that we're made up and that we are... Uh, a part of something strange going on where he says, oh, I have this strange feeling. 
And here, more than most episodes, we get a sense that something strange is going on. Even when they tried to break it up with some comedy where they were going through, Isaac and the other guy were going through Elliot's CD collection of all the people he's hacked and put away. And he's like, what, no Drake or Pitbull? You've got like Tom Petty, Pink Floyd. What is this, Rain Man? This is bad music. We need something fresh and modern. thought it was funny that his stuff was out there and so findable, honestly. Yeah, it would be like someone like a and in a way it was it was this weird parallel with what you would see with a serial killer and their trophy book, right? Because the mm-hmm. CDs represent Elliot's trophies. And so in if you had a serial killer who remembered each victim with a baseball card and someone was flipping through their baseball card collection and saying, Oh, what? Like no Mickey Mantle? Ha ha ha. We get this kind of sort of chill, right? And that's kind of what we're playing with here, where They're going through and just kind of toying with dynamite. They don't realize what they're holding. Yeah, they really go out of their way to make those two guys seem completely inept, especially like the one scene where they were too busy getting high and they let Elliot walk his dog. Like, why did they not immediately try to shut that down? Of course, it helped advance the story that they didn't. But you get the sense that Isaac is, on the one hand, he thinks he's so much smarter than he really is. But on the other hand, you can tell he's kind of a loose cannon. So it's, it's, and they clearly don't understand what he's doing. And Elliot knows that and uses that against them throughout. Well, Elliot said in that prior episode of Exploits that he's able to see people and their weakness really easily. At least that's how he makes it seem. And use that to his advantage. And so we, as a, the viewer, also tend to kind of rush to judgment about how well we know certain characters. Because by the end of this episode, we learn that those two guys are not as harmless or clueless as it may appear. That's true. And also, it's pretty interesting the way Vera, Fernando Vera, has tapped into Elliot and how he says to him, remember, I'm going to hug you. He's always reminding Elliot of all the things that you would want to make someone shudder by saying, I'm going to hug you. I'm going to smother you in hugs next time I see you. It's it's so weird, but completely something that's going to make Elliot be very unhappy to hear. It's like that smelly auntie who would threaten you with pinched cheeks and you would just dread it as a child. Oh, tell me about it. Unfortunately, when Elliot goes to see Vera in the prison, brings his phone inside to see what he could sniff, he's a little concerned because we find out that the prison, surprisingly, has a WPA2 Wi-Fi, which, which is a much more secure Wi-Fi connection. And in the end, Elliot resorts to hacking them over Bluetooth, which I thought was pretty funny. I love that because we all know that Bluetooth is pretty insecure as far as I understand. Yeah, and that, that again, is the point of entry of human weakness. And here, again, it's very basic human primal exploits that are used. Sex in this case, you have Darlene distracting the the police officer so that Ellie can hack his mobile computer. Yeah, it was all the time that Elliot needed so that he could figure out how to a- access the exploit that was at at the um, that was surrounding this p- one police officer in his car. And it's so fascinating that it's really 
the humans who are the exploits in the chain in a lot of ways and what that means for the future of security too. That's a big question. Yeah, because as long as we're given the most amount of power in any system, that's always going to be in some ways the easiest points point to hack is a human being. Yeah. And then after Elliot convinces Isaac not to shoot him because Elliot somehow gets really street smart pretty fast in terms of being a good talker, because so often Elliot's not a good talker, but here he convinces Isaac the best thing is to wait until his brother Fernando is out and to do whatever he's going to do with him then. And then after that, Elliot comes up with, I think, the most brilliant escape sequence the way he was able to disable that prison and knew how to work all of it yeah i mean elliot found his inner shakespeare when faced with that moment of clarity right <laughs> it was pretty impressive and the most words i've heard him say in, in at one time uh so maybe being off the drugs is a good thing for him and he was pretty feeling pretty good about things like we as also along for the ride were pretty feeling pretty good about how he was going to escape this whole set of circumstances with how he had engineered things like he had set things up so that fernando vera had to risk his whole life and put that as hostage against uh shayla's safety you know and i thought it was really remarkable this episode really focused a lot on a series of impossible choices that people were confronted with and there were a few times especially when elliot was interacting with fernando vera to follow up up on what you're saying, where Elliot was like, I realize I have impossible choices, but that's my move. It's your move next. And it was like this chess game. And at the end, Vera always had the upper hand on Elliot. Mr. Robot was right. And we find out Shayla is, is dead, 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 dead. And, you know, this reference to uh, chess makes me think about this article I saw on my Facebook feed recently about how you should think about life as Tetris, not chess, and the mistakes that you make by thinking of life as chess and not Tetris. Where, and one of the things that it talks about is that Tetris is all about it getting more difficult as things become faster and that you're basically forced to make decisions faster and faster and faster versus chess where you're forced to make very difficult decisions in very unusual circumstances. It's a wonderful metaphor, and it makes a lot of sense in terms of how to conduct life. The thing that was really sad is I, I like Sheila as a, as a character, and it's a shame to see her go. The scene that took place before Elliot looked inside the trunk, it was harrowing. They really held on to that horror he was feeling knowing what he was going to see when he finally looked in the trunk but they didn't satisfy the viewer quote unquote by making it happen right away we suffered along with elliot with that dread and, and i re referred to her earlier about how this plays on a very uh classic theme of uh damsel in distress that's more cinematic than television and it reminded me a lot of seven in the towards the end of the the movie where you're just holding your breath and just feeling sick to your stomach like no come on no but that's actually what happened and that good feeling that we were feeling all of a sudden just turns to ashes in our mouth yeah it was intense uh i thought this was a really wonderful episode i'm so glad that we had time to talk about this henry is there anything else we should discuss about brave traveler or do you feel ready to continue on your journey until next time uh, i would say uh if if what we're seeing is a click if press any key to continue I'm pressing 
any key. As soon as I find it on my keyboard, which one's labeled as any? <laughs> I once got that call in technical support. Press any key. Where is any? Oh, that's hysterical. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> well, this is a lot of fun, Henry. Thanks so much for chatting this week about Mr. Robot. Uh, great talking with you, Margaret. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, and I want to thank everybody who's been listening and subscribing and rating on iTunes or Stitcher or chatting us up on our Facebook page at Hello Friend. So definitely thanks for that. And I look forward to talking to you, Henry, really soon. Thanks, Margaret. So you may have noticed that our intro is a little unusual and incorporates a lot of sounds that you may recognize if you've been around computing and technology for a while. If you feel like there's a sound that you want in there that we're not currently including, feel free to email us, message us, post uh, something on Facebook, send us a tweet, and suggest the sound that you'd like to have uh, in the intro music, and we'll do our best to accommodate you. That's such a cool idea that you have for that, Henry. And thank you so much for composing the original music for the Hello Friend Mr. Robot podcast. I think it sounds great. And I look forward to hearing what sounds we get to incorporate at our users' suggestions. Great. Thanks, Margaret. Bye, Henry. Take care. All right. Bye. Emily Moss's daughter. Angela Moss, I called six times. Yes. I'm here to discuss the Washington Township case. I'm listening. You represented the victims' families, 26 families, mine included. I thought with the latest news in the data dumps, the Terry Colby scandal, his covering up the chemical waste spill. Alleged. Well, and documents. Superficial. Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring. My summer wine is really made from all these things I walked in town on silver spurs the jingle too A song that I had only sang to just a few she saw my silver spurs and said, let's pass some time And I will give to you summer wine Oh, summer wine Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring My summer wine is made from all these things Take off your silver spurs and help me pass the time And I will give to you summer wine Oh, summer wine My eyes grew heavy and my lips they could not speak I tried to get up, but I couldn't find my feet She reassured me with an unfamiliar line And then she gave to me more summer wine Oh, summer wine Strawberries, cherries 
Summer wine, oh summer. 